0: And uh, today it uh, gives me a great pleasure to int- introduce Dr. Rick Young, who uh, many of you know and known for quite a, quite a long time. He asked me to say two lines, but I really, I really won't do that. So uh, and one of the things that you can do as a chair is that you can make up your own decisions, uh, Dr. Young. So, so there's going to be more than two, and he deserves them. Uh, so we'll go back a little bit in time, and uh, Dr. Young obtained his undergraduate degree, in biology from Stanford University, and so you'll see a West Coast uh, uh, theme here throughout his career. Um, it, it was back a few years ago, uh, and a medical degree from Yale University uh, later on, he came back to the East Coast. Uh, then uh, he uh, stayed at Yale for a little bit longer, awarded a Master's in Public Health in Maternal and Child Health from the Yale School of Epidemiology and in public, in public Health in 1973. Then uh, went back to the West. Uh, he completed an internship in pediatrics at the University of Washington affiliated hospitals in Seattle in 1977, and then a residency in pediatrics and pediatric neurology at Mass General from '76 to '80. I think that's where he met Dr. Zelnaritis, and they're still hanging around, uh, and and they're very good friends since that time. Uh, he held a, a faculty appointment as an assistant professor at Penn State University and then Stanford University School of Medicine. So can you know the steam of sort of back and forth. And they came back to Connecticut to relocate, not permanently, because he travels a lot, as you will see. Um, and he was chief of pediatrics at St. Raphael's Hospital and appointed associate clinical professor of pediatrics at Yale University. He joined us, uh, uh, Rick, I believe it was 2008. Uh, so it's been a, a wonderful uh, 11 years, perhaps going on to 12. Uh, and, and he's been an amazing faculty member, a great teacher, an unbelievable speaker. You will see today from his presentation. But I I would be remiss if I don't emphasize uh, his contributions to our country. Uh, His service in the National Guard was recognized in 2015 with the Legion of Merit Award granted by the President of the United States for exceptionally meritorious service while serving in various positions of increasing responsibility throughout a distinguished military career. And as if that wasn't enough, uh, uh, he also received the 2015 Medal of Merit awarded by the state of Connecticut for exceptional meritorious service and outstanding achievement while serving in the Connecticut Army National Guard for more than 15 years. He has served our country in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, and he continues to be a a wonderful member of our community and a great teacher. And he's one of the people that you see walking around at the hospital, and and you get great pleasure because he is always a a gentleman, a scholar. And around Christmas time, I always get his little bag of treats with a uh, worn uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, uh, celebrate celebratory now. So, uh, Dr. Young, if you can come up and uh, give your grand rounds. Round of applause.
1: Uh, buenos dias, Jefe. Los gemelos. Well, I'd like to speak about ocular motility today and why. Well, I think because you can do about half of your neurologic examination by just taking a look at these two fellows. First of all, they're twins, so you have a built-in control. If one's not paying attention, then there's something wrong with somebody. But you can see that at the age of one, they have fixed their attention on something. It's actually me taking their picture and that their eyes are aligned, and that they're both gazing at the subject. And also that they recognize the individual, they have no fear of strangers because I've done umpteen diaper changes and bottles with them, and so there's a recognition. And so essentially we've tested everything from the cornea all the way to the thalamus, then to the occipital lobes, then into the memory of the temporal lobes, as well as down into the uh, superior and middle brainstem uh, with the eye muscles that coordinate movement. Thank you for the uh, wonderful introduction. I think, Steve, if I just press this, it'll move to the next slide. Yeah. I could have summarized all that Juan said by just two slides. The first one goes back quite a ways. When a young man said, I'm Zalneuritis. I'm going to be your pediatric neurology partner for the next three years. I said, how do you, how do you say that? He said, zalneuritis. Well, I knew what a neuritis was. And to add a zal wasn't very difficult. But it uh, began a friendship that has extended over decades. And I'm Truly grateful, uh, you know, each time when we have a word ceremony in the spring and Ed comes up for the teaching award, I feel that, you know, maybe 2% of his award comes to me. Uh, but uh, I do my best to support him. I try to make sure I block out time to do interviews in the fall and to practice good citizenship. The other person is Eileen Gillen. And uh, fate had it that we met at Christmas in Iraq in 2004. And after finishing this tour, she came back and said, you know, we're down to two neurologists, Fran DiMario and uh, Carol Leischer. And they're great neurologists, but they really can't do all the neurology for a medical center. Would you think about coming and joining us? And uh, at the time, I was at that institution to the south of us, and I said, my, it's a long drive. And she said, it's not really. Just come up and take a look. Well, that was 12 or 13 years ago, and I've never looked back. And I've enjoyed uh, dozens of audiobooks. And uh, it was the right move. So I'm honored to work with and be a part of Eileen Gillen as well. Well, I'd like to cover normal ocular motility, strabismus, trauma, infection, uh, congenital disorders of eye movement, autoimmune disorders, and then finally some cases of nystagmus. To test ocular motility, you need to put the eyes through nine different positions, which are illustrated here. But start first with the primary position. And it's never too early to start. You can start in the newborn. And it's just worth the, you know, you can hope no cardiologists in the room you know, you can just kind of shorten your cardiac exam because 15 other people have already listened to the baby's heart, and you know the O2 sat is 98%. And get your flashlight and look right at the pupils and make sure that the pupillary light reflex is bouncing off the pupils. And then <clears throat> for the babies, use something large like your head and then move into the nine different positions. When you have them look laterally, the eyes, the sclera should disappear completely. Now, here you see a little bit of sclera. Jimmy's not looking fully to the right. Livy's doing a little better here. You can see that all of the white is gone when she looks laterally. When she looks superiorly, the pupil will almost reach the top of the eyelid. Now, there's no point in your pupil going any further, because then you're looking at the back of your eyelid. And similarly, when you look down, the pupil will reach almost to the lower level of the eyelid. So let's first talk about strabismus. Very common problem. About 5% of children have strabismus. There are Ophthalmologists who's who make their living just from strabismus surgery. And here you see a little fellow who's had a who has strabismus, a right exotropia, and has a right hemiplegia as well. Has cerebral palsy from an from a uh, infarct sustained probably at birth. Here's another little fellow uh, uh, from. Uh, Nicaragua, who has uh, strabismus. It's present in about 50% of Down syndrome and CP patients. Now, you can have strabismus in a normal child, just as much as you can be left-handed and be completely normal. I mean, President Obama is a gifted individual. He's left-handed. But you have to look at left-handers carefully to make sure that their non-dominant hand is working as well as your non-dominant hand. That is, they're not an obligate left-hander. And similarly, when I see a child with strabismus, I do a second neurologic exam to make sure that they don't have mild cerebral palsy. We're talking about strabismus in a talk on ocular motility. The muscles of the eye are actually normal, in most cases, in strabismus. The problem is not a problem of the eye muscle. It's a problem of the coordinating centers in the brain. And hence, you have the high prevalence of strabismus in the CP population. Here you see a little fellow with CP. He's got the typical adduction or scissoring an extension of the feet. If untreated, the brain will ignore the image of the misaligned eye, and they will lose acuity or even possibly become blind. So here's a little girl. Here we go. You ready? Yep. Filming. Mm-hmm. Okay, now um, we're going to stretch your ankle. Uh, gonna stretch this one. Uh, okay, now you jump down. Okay, that's good. Here you go. Okay, jump. Can you jump? Let me see you jump. Jump. Okay, walk to me. Well, come over here. That's good. So children with Spastic diplegia don't start in neurology clinic. They start in your office and then often go to orthopedics. Then orthopedics will refer them to us. But CP is not a problem in the legs per se. The gastroc, the anterior tip muscles are normal. It's a problem of imbalance between flexion extension that's set centrally. In Latin, we use the term amblyopia ex-anopsia, meaning that ambly, to wander. If the eye is wandering, it will eventually lose vision. And hence, you patch the good eye, which forces the brain to respond to the stimuli and not turn off the strabismic eye. We accept this as dogma today. The two individuals who made this discovery, Hubel and Wiesel actually received the Nobel Prize. What they did was they took kittens and sewed translucent ping pong balls over the eyes so that the kittens could see light, but were unable to see formed objects. Eventually, the kittens lost their vision. Well, let's talk a little bit about trauma as a cause of eye motility disorders. This is a uh, young Marine who came into uh, neurology. He had been playing touch football. And when I asked him what happened, he said, someone dropped me on my head. I didn't go any further than that. But looking at him, you can see that his head is tilting to the right. Now, why is he doing that? Well, he can't depress the left eye, and so he's tilting his head to the opposite direction. He has a fourth nerve palsy, which is one of the most complicated of the palsies. Uh, it's, it can be missed by both neurologists and ophthalmologists because the superior oblique uh, runs through a pulley, the um, affected eye is going to be the one that's higher uh, on the uh, horizontal plane. I was looking at some videos last night. You can try this. If you take your arm and put it over here on your ear, try that, and then pull. Well, that's the function of your let pretend your whole face is your one eyeball. This is a function of your superior oblique. It lifts up your eye. Well, people who have fourth nerve palsy have difficulty looking downward. It depresses and abducts the eye. So if you don't mind, everybody's got a cell phone. Well, mine's over here take out your cell phone, and just look at it. Well, that's what your fourth nerve does for you. It allows you to look downward at the screen. And people who come in with fourth nerve palsy say, I can't read. I can read if I hold it up here, but not in a normal reading position. So if you see someone walking around with their iPhone on the street up here, rather than down there, you know they've got a big problem. Here's another soldier who fell on his occiput and uh, has a fourth nerve palsy. I'm performing a red glass or red cellophane test here. And I'll explain how you do that. Um, When you take a light and you ask a person, how many lights do they see? They say one. Now, actually, you're seeing two but your brain has fused the images because it'd be very disconcerting to see two images. You know, Whale could read you know, Tolstoy over here and Dostoevsky over there. Well, that won't work for us. And so we just say we see one, even though you're seeing two. When you um, <clears throat> put a red glass over the, over the uh, right eye, you still see just one light. Now, actually you're seeing two because if you do this, you'll say, oh, it's white. And if you do this, you'll say, oh, it's pink or red. You hold it in the middle, they say, oh, I see one light and it's pink. It's fused the two images. Well, when you have someone with a fourth nerve palsy, you can see that when they look upwards, they see just one object because they're able to elevate and abduct the eye. When they get downwards and to the affected side, they have a vertical diplopia. The two images are separated not only horizontally, but vertically. And they have the greatest difficulty uh, with that. And that's why this soldier came in saying, I can't run because I can't look down. Now, he could run if he just looked straight out at the horizon. but given that we're in Iraq and the road surface is perilous, he's unable to look at his feet when he's jogging. Well, a lecture wouldn't be complete without a little nervous system infection. This little fellow came in to see me. He's from a, you know, my first question is, are there deer in your yard? Yes, check that one off. Plus, he had the rash. He had vertical diplopia. And I'm used to seeing sixth nerve palsy with Lyme disease. And of course, his pediatrician had already done the obligate Lyme antibody, which was negative. So I said, well, I hope he doesn't have a brain tumor in the pons. Send him in for an MRI. Normal. Another neurologist saw him, Ah, voila. It was now about a week later, and his serology had converted. And he had signs of Lyme meningitis. Is the facial palsy on the right or on the left? Well, the solution is, where do you have better eye closure, on the right or the left. His orbicularis oculi is working on this side, and this side it isn't. But the best would be to sweep the bangs over and then have him elevate. This young man came into the emergency department with fever, headache, and diplopia. We're asking him to look right. Now, what's amazing is that he still has preserved sensorium. But again, he's obliterating the sclera, which tells you he's got full medial function, but he's got a prominent right sixth nerve. Long story short, he had meningitis affecting his sixth nerve. What is striking is that sometimes the sensorium changes early in meningitis, and sometimes it's one of the cranial nerve palsies that is the presenting complaint. I think meningitis has so many different presenting features, uh, and it's a astute clinician. You've got a, you know, like Kawasaki's disease. You just have to kind of keep it up there in your memory bank somewhere looking for your next Kawasaki, even if it takes you 10 years to find one. Again, we have a right sixth nerve palsy in addition you have some erythema and there is some fullness to the right eye well she's got pansinusitis as well as an abscess infraorbitally pressing up against the lamina papyracea in english the paper thin membrane That separates this abscess from her frontal lobe. So, clearly needs some treatment. Let's talk for a moment about gaze palsies. Now, if I take out my cell phone and I look at it, you know, it's way too complicated for me to say, all right. Use your right sixth nerve and your left third nerve and your right hand to gaze to the right at the screen. It's much easier to activate an app, in modern terms, called the frontal eye field that will direct your gaze to whatever you're viewing in your right field. And you can see that going on here. One's gazing downwards, one's gazing to the right, one's gazing to the left. The problem here is not paralysis of the superior rectus. It's loss of up gaze. So we have a gaze center to look to the left, right frontal eye field. We have a gaze center to look to the right, left frontal eye field. And we have a gaze center to do vertical movements as well. This is the sunset sign. And it occurs, it's it's located in the tectum, in the superior midbrain. When there's pressure on the tectum from hydrocephalus, a tumor, uh, issues of that nature, uh, you lose your up gaze. Now. In endocrine, you see diabetes. In neurology, you see headaches. If you don't like diabetes, don't go into endocrinology. And similarly, if you don't like headaches, don't go into neurology. I cannot MRI every single kid who comes to neurology clinic with headache. Uh, I'm already speaking to the uh, physicians who uh, authorize MRIs at least once a week. But I can do a careful exam. What would that be? I'm going to ask them to look fully to the right and to the left to make sure there's no sixth nerve palsy. I'm going to ask them to look vertically upwards to make sure that there's no pressure on the midbrain. And I'm going to do a fundoscopic exam and document that there's no papilledema. Then Romberg, fine motor functions. And put that all down and then have strength of, you know, character that I've done a careful neurologic exam and let's talk about the headaches. So this is 1500 and Raphael is painting his last picture. This is called the transfiguration in this painting. Jesus is with Moses and Elijah. And all of us down here are in the darkness. You can see some light from the moon actually shining on the shoulders of some of the individuals in the picture because this young man is having a seizure. And it was felt that the moon or lunatics had something to do with epilepsy. He is having a right frontal seizure. Now, I know Dr. Schomer can't throw those electrodes on and and prove it. But you can see that his eyes are deviated to the left, indicating activation of the frontal eye field, and that he's extending his left arm. This is called an adversive seizure, and it has localizing uh, significance. All right, let's talk about congenital disorders. When I was in Iraq, it was, I was just amazed at uh, the different conditions some of the soldiers had uh, and would, would be talking and they'd say something about, oh, I have Kleinfelter syndrome. I need a shot of testosterone. And I'm going, what? <laughs> Why are you out here? But you know, they had tremendous desire to serve. Another young man I met had homozygous PKU disease and uh, ate basically fruits and vegetables during his entire deployment. Well, this young man had Duane uh, retraction syndrome. And it should be recording now. Why is it not recording? Come on. Oh, you know, that's embarrassing. You know, it really is. That's like when you're looking for your glasses and, you know, then you think, oh, how come I'm seeing so well? Okay, so uh, can you get a good look at his eyes?
0: Focusing. A or
1: then maybe move back a little bit okay there
0: wait oh. technology
1: isn't what it is on okay. iPhone. There we go. good now Steve just look here follow the light with your eyes he can move immediately he cannot move laterally okay now Steve look at the light and look at me oh you have to yeah look at the light and look at me again and look at the light. And look at me. So when he looks lateral it should be recording now. There. Mobius syndrome. It's a failure of innervation of the sixth and seventh nerve. You can see also that there's some hypotonia and that in doing the so-called slipping through test for pectoral muscle strength the examiner has to grip the baby a little more tightly than you normally do, and that the arms are winging upwards. These babies also have club foot deformity frequently. Now, club foot, well, that's Dr. Pierce and, you know, D- Jeff Thompson. It's not neurology, it is neurology. You develop club foot because you have failure of movement of the ankle in utero. And the ankle's not moving because it's not innervated. So it's really neurological, although the treatment, of course, is surgical. Here's a young woman who has uh, Mobius. Thomas, and I have Mobius
0: syndrome. Um, what it is, is uh, the paralyzation of the sixth and seven. And, um, and you know, it's congenital and you're born with well, If you have it, you're born with it. It's not something you catch when like, you're little or whatever. So you're Thomas
1: and... Okay. So take a break. Look at the person next to you and give them a nice smile. You can look, you can smile at me, Francis. The smile is one of the things we look for first in babies, is their social smile. And it's one of the first things we do when we meet each other, is we smile. And if you don't smile, then, you know, a sympathetic person will say, what's wrong, Rick? Or is something going on? Well, here's a young woman from the New York Times who has Mobius syndrome, and she is in the workforce like you and I, but when she goes to cocktail parties, she can't smile. Ms. Bogart has a distinctive laugh. Her jaw drops, her lips stretch and lift slightly, and her entire torso shakes. She needs to rely on these peripheral channels Makes people with paralysis especially sensitive to such cues in others. At a party, I feel I can tell whether someone will be worth talking to within seconds. I can read people's comfort level or whether they can work through discomfort very quickly. When you meet someone who has a sixth and seventh nerve holiday, your first impression may be, there's something wrong with you. And there is. They have a paralysis of the sixth and seventh nerve, and they possibly have club foot deformity as well. But they may be perfectly intelligent, wonderful people. And you can see how her spouse has adapted to this as well, and I'm sure loves her very much to support her in this interview in The Times. We think of Hirschsprung disease, aha, you know, surgical, chop out that segment. It's actually a neurological disease. Well, actually everything's neurological because the nerves go everywhere. But there's a failure of innervation of that segment which causes Hirschsprungs. Well, This little fellow developed unilateral ptosis. Worse when tired, no change in vision, with some oral motor weakness. Well, something's wrong with your eye. You know, do you have an infection? No. Well, here's another young lady. It's great when they're in school because you get those annual photos. And you can always ask the parents to bring in last year's school photo. And she goes in two years to having ptosis. You can see that the distance between the upper and lower lid has reduced. And she can no longer make a smile. But the pattern is important that she's having difficulty chewing at supper time rather than at breakfast. I remember very clearly when I was at Penn State, our nurse came in and she said, I can't understand my fiance. And I said something ridiculous like, well, that happens in marriage. (laughs) But then I, I became a little more serious and I said, tell me more. I said, can you understand him in the morning? She says, yeah, he's clear in the morning. But by evening, I can't understand his speech." I said, well, what are you cooking in the evenings? She says, well, it's mostly eggs. I used to get steak or pork chops or corn on the cob. But he's having trouble with that. He had already been to ENT clinics. They had done a barium swallow, which showed some reflux, but the larynx was normal, tonsils had already shrunk, so they said goodbye to you. Well, he had onset of myasthenia. And it's peculiar how, you know, in the spring you don't have myasthenia, and then by the fall you do. now let's see. now it's running now. If you look at it, Kathy, it should say EP record of it. Okay, Right. So that means it's working. Okay. I'm just stand here, right? Now let's see. This is gonna take a little work here.
0: <coughs>
1: Steve, how do you minimize this easily? There you go, oh. terrific. That's why you become chairman. I'm chief president. <laughs> so this young man uh, went to Guilford High School, and running out. He's running out. If you look at it, Kathy, it should say EP record of it. Okay. Right. So that means it's working. Okay. Now you just stand here, right? Right. <laughs> okay. Good. Douglas, thanks again for talking with us. Sure. Doug, can you tell me this summer? how you were working at your grandfather's store and lifting up uh, the grain bags and how that went? Uh, well, for uh, most of the summer, I'm quite active with lifting weight. Um, lifting anywhere from, I think a few to be six tons a day. Mm-hmm. Is or this be, oats or hay? Killed um, um, grain, grain, salt pellets, and cement, and whatever. But at the same time, you noticed, at least when you were playing, that you had some weakness around the mouth. Could you talk about that? Uh, I, yeah, there would be... Um, I uh, play the trombone, uh, which involves lip coordination and different tensing to reach different notes and uh, I was finding that I was getting tired a lot faster than I normally would, particularly on high notes you have to use uh, more muscle. When you went back to college in, in November when your symptoms were at their maximum, what were some of the symptoms that you noted in terms of eating or writing or walking? Um, it, became difficult to hold a pen in my hand and write my motor
0: coordination. a major. Okay, oh, we lost. Right.
1: Okay. I just want to demonstrate your arm strength again. Doug, if you'd make a big fist and hold your wrist up again. Okay, hold it up there. Good, that's fine. And hold this one up, cock your wrist up. Good. Okay, spread your fingers nice and wide. Hold them open. Good, hold these open. Now, put your arms out for me again. Hold them up there, Doug. Hold them up. Okay. Now, put your arms straight in front of you. Turn to the ceiling. And I want you to go 1, Mississippi. 1, Mississippi.
0: 2, Mississippi. 3, Mississippi. 4, Mississippi. 5, Mississippi. 6, Mississippi. 7, Mississippi. 8, Mississippi. 9, Mississippi. 10, Mississippi. 11, Mississippi. 12, Mississippi. 13 or 60, 14 or 60, 15 or 16 or You're starting
1: to get a little bit okay. Okay, done. To feel heavy again. Starting. Can't I just let you stay there for a second until they get them? Sometimes
0: it's harder to appreciate it on the camera.
1: He has uh, myasthenia gravis. had a thymectomy and actually did very well. It's it's a uh, postsynaptic disorder. Here you see the end of the neuron terminal and the postsynaptic membrane here. Here's a individual who's normal and has good receptor sites postsynaptically and another individual who's had immune attack Upon the postsynaptic membrane and has myasthenia. There are multiple forms of myasthenia, including a transient neonatal form where the mother's antibodies cross to the uh, fetus and the baby is born weak, not all, maybe 50% of them. One of the tests you can do for um, myasthenia is. So the key points are there is fatigable weakness. They're better off in the morning than in the evening. And if you put them through testing with time, they'll get weaker. It tends to be orofacial and may remain ocular for a number of years before becoming systemic. You can take uh, an ice pack uh, to someone with ptosis and apply ice for 10 or 15 seconds. And then when you remove the ice, it should help with the elevation of the eyelid. You can see in this EM the antibody on the postsynaptic membrane. Well, let's do um, five cases of nystagmus and then we'll be done. These are two sisters. They're full-blooded sisters. One has nystagmus. Their ethnic origin is Puerto Rico. And you can see the sister on your left uh, has a complexion similar to many of the individuals in Puerto Rico. And her full-blooded sister is about five shades paler and has blonde hair. And is wearing eyeglasses. Talk to you. Um, Nicole, uh, what letter can you see clearly? This one. Okay, read the letters for me. V, J, V. Good. Good. Now take your glasses off. And what letter can you read? The same one. Okay, try this line i feel a bit okay so we're at the 2070 line okay good now just keep your glasses off and look right at laurie and laurie you can you can move in a little closer if you want to that's good okay and then just look at the e don't move your head good and nicole look this way good. now look up do things talk to you so Albinism uh, affects your acuity, um, and it's quite common. There are a number of different forms of albinism. Uh, It affects all humans, uh, and uh, it affects the eye because it, like the skin, iris, retina, all derive from the ectoderm. Down syndrome. good. Now we'll just take one little peek. So about a third of children with Down syndrome have nystagmus and impaired visual acuity. I don't think the etiology is well worked out. Again you can see in this photograph that the pupillary light reflex nicely uh, balances in both eyes. Here's a child who came in to see us who has optic nerve hypoplasia, again, on that theme of Mobius syndrome and Hirschsprungs and telopies equinovirus. So parents frequently ask, Can my child see? Well, again, take your large head and put it right in front of the baby. You're blocking almost all of the visual field. And move right to left, up and down, and see if the baby can track on you. Your head is about five times as big as the large E on the Snellen chart. So it's not exactly a small target but it's a good one because it prevents them from looking around the room and other objects. When they get a little older, take a Cheerio or have the mom or dad take a Cheerio and put it on their tray and see if they will reach for it. Now that's still about the size of five big E's on the Snellen chart. So then take your Cheerio and break it into little pieces uh, and uh, do it. Now a normal child on the floor who's crawling, will pick up anything. Everything is a choking hazard, but they'll find all, all sorts of little objects on the floor that are of interest to them, including human hair. You can imagine how thin that is. I don't know of any other way to test acuity uh, at this age. Now, I may need some more help on this one. Let's see if it's going to play. Yeah, well, they noticed some trouble walking. Uh a year ago, they noticed some trouble with it. Okay. So uh, <laughs> the, the video is behind it, and this is the last one. So it should be here. It's on the tabletop behind the PowerPoint. Okay, we can minimize this, minimize that, and it's here. They noticed some trouble with her walking. Uh, it all had started last year in 83 of uh, March on her eyes.
0: came across crossing. And then her right arm, she couldn't use that. And then her right leg uh, seemed to flop And not be used as well.
1: One, two, three, four, Well, she came in to see me, and, uh, you know, I ordered a CAT scan. CAT scan came back normal. <laughs> this quite a while ago. You can tell from the amount of hair I had. <laughs> it was a low-level resolution CT scan. There was no MRI. I thought she had cerebral palsy. Well, obviously she didn't, because cerebral palsy presents early on in infancy. Not when you're three years old. And instead, she had a uh, pontine glioma. You can see the uh, tumor wrapping itself around the brainstem and affecting the different cranial nerves here. So a rather dramatic uh, nystagmus. Now, the final case of nystagmus I want to go over with you is a young soldier who was perfectly normal one day and then came into the neurology clinic the next day with this chaotic nystagmus you can see that you can look right at the camera on the same horizontal plane the right eye is lower and this is called the skew deviation that's still pretty dramatic on the horizontal plane I don't know what was wrong with her. Anyone who could not be, quote, patched up the next day was put on a stretcher or a wheelchair or walked onto an airplane. And in 10 hours, they were at Launchstuhl, Germany, at the regional medical center. We did a CT scan. It showed no infarct. We didn't do a spinal tap, but she was perfectly lucid and able to speak, had no seizures. So I think that vascular injury, a stroke is unlikely. I think encephalitis is unlikely. And I I wonder whether this could be a first attack of demyelinating disease in the brainstem, but I honestly don't know. I think this was one of the most dramatic uh, patients I saw while I was deployed. Well, <clears throat> I'm going to end here. Uh, there are some booklets out on the front that uh, Sally Knowles in corporate communications uh, was kind enough to help me with. And I'd like to thank Liz Anderson and uh, Miss Nicole Kapsulas standing on either side of the aisle, for assisting me with the. Uh, videos. Uh, We had numerous uh, communications uh, during the course of the week. So thank you again, not just for today, but for every Tuesday morning. What this is, is a uh, series of graded reading paragraphs. For example, one day when Larry the lion and his mother were looking for food next to some trees, they saw a rabbit in the grass. I see a rabbit, Larry shouted. When the rabbit heard him, it knew that it should run away. Larry, his mother said, do not shout. If you are loud, we will not catch any food. Questions, who is Larry? What did Larry's mother say to him? What will happen if Larry shouts? How does Larry's mother feel about him? What is Larry's mother trying to do with Larry? So it goes all the way to um, the Gettysburg Address and the Road Not Taken uh, and to Uncle Tom's Cabin as you get into the high school years. There are some nonverbal uh, tests that are available as well. There's the uh, good enough draw a person test and. My uh, six-year-old granddaughter was kind enough to furnish a picture. uh, And you can see she's quite the artist for a first grader. But feel free to take one. If you have a medical student or PA student in your office, uh, uh, feel free as well. They're provided gratis courtesy of Connecticut Children's Medical Center. Thank you again for your attention this morning. What are some of your terms for detecting pseudo strabism compared to regular with kids with large upper folds? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to ask folds? a question. When I looked
0: at baby Archie, the new son of uh, Meghan Markle and Harry, um, does he have
1: pseudo or does he have strabismus? Thank you. Okay. <laughs> You know, I think as pediatricians and as pediatric neurologists, our, our job is to screen it and not to give the definitive word. And I make frequent use of the ambulatory referral to ophthalmology. You know, I start by first asking the parents, because they are looking at these children 24-7, are your, do your child, does your child's eyes seem to line up? Yeah. Okay, great, and then I'll examine them. Uh, Similarly, I don't have time to take all their clothes off to look for cafe LA spots, even though I know Dr. DiMario wants me to, but I'll ask them, does your child have birthmarks? And they'll say, yeah, and i say, oh no, that's just a little beauty mark or something, but the parents know where all these birthmarks are on the kids, so I will look at their skin as much as I have time to do, But I'm going to trust the parents' judgment uh, for it. Pseudostrabismus, it's when I think you have strabismus, but children's eye care said you don't have it. So that's good. Uh, The key is, do they have normal acuity in both eyes? Are they working as a pair? Please. Thanks. Early in the talk, you said something about um, cerebral dominance and uh, for instance uh, handedness uh, use of one eye in preference to the other perhaps and, and footedness, uh, kicking a ball and so on, all easy tests to do can you draw any conclusions if it's mixed? Well, whenever uh, thank you Larry, when parents <laughs> come in and say my son or daughter seems to use their right hand to the exclusion of the left. Uh, I take that very, very seriously, and I'll spend a long time tapping on the knees to look for reflex asymmetry or ankle clonus. And my bar is fairly low to image them uh, to see whether they have a hemispheric problem causing left-handedness. I hope that answers your question. You know, pediatrics is challenging, because 99% of our kids do not have appendicitis. But it's that one that has the appendicitis that burns you, and you say, you know, I should have thought of that. Um, Case in point, I admitted a kid with autism for constipation. And it wasn't getting better, and he had fever. Well, my colleague went up to see him. I had the good sense to say, could you look at Joey? I think he has appendicitis and he had actually ruptured, but, you know, it's, it's challenging when they have autism. Well, thank you again. Have a good day, everyone.
0: Thank you